One of the things that I uh, think of pretty regularly is that I'm really glad that social media and cell phones didn't exist when I was a kid. In particular, when I was a teenager and in college, because I think that there's probably some things out there that I wouldn't want to be out there. You know, at this, at this point in my life, I, there's some people that are a handful of guys that I'm closest to in my life. They've known me the longest. They uh, have been through the most with me. We prioritize time to spend with each other. Somebody who is, is somewhat of an introvert, like I don't like talking on the phone, I don't like sending text messages or emails and all that kind of stuff. And yet those guys I talk with every week, sometimes every day of the week. And it's, it's something we're really, really close to, but I'm really glad that they don't have any evidence. You know, it's just one of those things. The people that you're closest to that know, know you the best sometimes, you know, that can be a really great thing. Sometimes it can make you just a little bit nervous. For me, it makes me just a little bit nervous. Now, we have a, we have a great relationship, though. We make sure that we keep an extremely healthy balance of being competitive with, with each other. Actually, two of my buddies are together right now. One of them's preaching at my buddy's church, and he's wearing a Cowboys jersey. He happens to be a Washington football team fan. And my other buddy's wearing a Washington football team jersey, even though he's a Cowboys fan because they both lost bets to each other. And so that's one of the ways that we keep things light and healthy. One of my buddies who lives out in San Antonio, when the last several Star Wars movies that came out, we actually, yes, I'm a little bit of a geek. We actually flew, took turns flying to each other's city to watch opening night Star Wars films with each other. And I know some of you are like, what in the world? Like, how, why would you possibly do that? Uh, of all the things that you could, you know, like spend your money on, why would you fly down to, to, to do that? Some of you are like, that is the best idea I've ever heard in my life. I need to start incorporating that as soon as I can. Maybe when the next Star Wars movie comes out, that'll work for you. But, uh, you know, it wasn't just about watching the film together, but it was an excuse to get, get together. Uh, we disagree with one another. You know, we're good friends, but we also don't always see eye to eye. But we help each other. We make fun of each other and we take as many opportunities to be able to do that as we can. We pray for one another, we study scripture together, we take time to be in person with one another and we challenge and encourage one another. They're great relationships. I often feel uh, somewhat guilty, to be honest, about how good they are and how great those friendships are. They make, those guys make me a better human, they make me a better man, they make me a better husband and a better father. But the thing that makes them my best friends Overall, the primary thing that categorizes them there in my life, the people closest to me, has everything to do with their commitment to being followers of Jesus. That, that is the primary thing, that is the foundational thing that makes them the best of friends to me. Because ultimately, their rhythms as disciples of Jesus has the most meaningful impact on the trajectory of my life. I don't know if you've uh, been able to figure out what the object is in our sermon bumper that's right right uh, in that graphic that was there, but it's this pin art toy. Do you guys remember those? I don't, I don't think, I don't, are we even allowed to play with those anymore? I don't know. Uh, hey, buddy, you know, touch this with me. Uh, prob probably not. But when you press your hand or an object into it, it makes an impression of that thing. As, as you can imagine, you can go wild with your imagination for that. Now, each individual pin can move, if you don't know how this works, sorry, uh, but each individual pin can move independently of, of one another. But when any action is applied to that, they all move in unison. It's not their function to move independently of each other. And so that's not how it works. Their purpose is in being is to be formed by what is impressed upon them by someone or something else. 
And the same is true for us. Obviously, we're not toys. And, and we have some agency in what motion is applied to our individual lives. But the type of community we keep, the type of community that we pursue and prioritize is what determines the direction our rhythms of relationship are headed toward. There's a quote that has stuck with me for years, and it's from Andy Stanley, and he said this, your friends determine the quality and direction of your life. And that's incredibly true, and it's an incredibly simple statement that is very profound in meaning. It's the quality and direction piece that is the sticking point for most of us because we don't all have the same definition of a quality life or the direction we want to head in. Uh, you, uh, depending on your worldview, you could feel that you know, that's entirely relative to your own goals and the own desires that you have for your life. But we don't experience life in a vacuum or just within our own social media page, or just within our own minds. The people we surround ourselves with create a shared communal experience, and if it's built on the wrong thing, we'll find ourselves where we don't expect to be, or so self-involved that we don't even recognize how off course we become, or even worse, so isolated that we don't know how to find our way back to who we're meant to be. The Proverbs 18 says this, in verse 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Th this is ancient wisdom. This idea of relationships and how they impact our lives is, is nothing new. I mean, this is something that we, we kind of know maybe in our subconscious, but it's not as conscious in our decision-making in those relationships as maybe it should be. And when we have unreliable companions in our life, they lead us in a direction we don't want to be. Uh, but... Friends who stick like blood in our lives, who are there for us, who surround us, that lead us to where God is calling us to be, that changes everything for us. And so as we talk about rhythms of a disciple and how Jesus models his life, and one of the things that he prioritizes are the relationships that he surrounds himself with. And, and I'm talking about the really close, intimate relationships that he has with people, the people that he spent the most time with, this, the people that he allowed to be around him, that he poured into in his life. And, and we're going to be talking about what it looks to ha like to have the same intentional rhythm of relationship that Jesus does. As disciples of Jesus, there are specific rhythms of relationships that we're called to be a part of, rhythms that Jesus himself created and he participated in. Faith in God is always meant to be experienced within community. In fact, you can't follow Jesus without it. I'll just say that again because sometimes I see people or hear people talk about how, well, it's my faith and, and you know, I don't necessarily need other people in that because, you know, blah, 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 blah. Just so you know, like that is not a biblical idea. This is not something Jesus modeled or taught. You cannot follow Jesus without community because faith in God can only be fully experienced within the context of being with fellow image bearers of God. And that's how he designed us. That's how he wired us. That's how he created us is to be in relationship with each other. Even Jesus does this as God made flesh. When he comes here, he surrounds himself with people to accomplish his mission of the gospel and spreading the kingdom of God. Out of all the disciples that Jesus had who followed him during his ministry, he took time to choose 12 men that would be closest to him near the beginning. In Luke at chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, Luke consolidates this call. So he, he kind of names everybody for us. In one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, 
his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. But check out what, Jesus, what Luke here communicates about. This is not just a list of names that he throws out there. And, okay, here are these guys that you know, Jesus is hanging out with, uh, that Jesus goes through when he comes to you know, inviting these people into his inner circle. Jesus takes, takes this time to be intentional, to be deep, to be purposeful behind his desire to be around these men. Primarily, yes, to be the initial leaders of spreading the good news of the kingdom of God and to establish the church, but also who he chose to be around during his ministry to be a friend to him, to be closest to him as he goes around and teaches and performs miracles and helps people see who God is. Each of these men had already been called to follow Jesus, and so some of you will recognize some of them as being you know, fishers of, of fish that Jesus walked up to a little bit earlier in Luke and said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men, and so I want you to follow me. And, and so they had become his disciples, but it was this moment of designation as apostles, meaning Jesus sets them aside as authoritative messengers of the gospel with his personal authority in a unique way in which Jesus is choosing who will spend most of his most important and personal time with in his life to accomplish God's will. And there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus and the apostles laughed together, had fun together. I, I imagine they made fun of each other sometimes. They had to have. They had to have. In addition to the hard times that they had in which they encouraged each other through, the mutual respect that was given to one another, although Jesus is eternally superior, became close enough that one of them, John, was given the charge to watch over Jesus' mother after his death and resurrection. I mean, they had become closer, a friend is someone who sticks closer than a brother. They had become closer than brothers through these relationships. And the first thing that Jesus does before making this important decision that Luke, Luke points out, you know, not just this list of names, but he points out what Jesus does, is that Jesus takes time to spend at a distant spot away from anyone else and stays up all night to abide in God's presence and to commune with him and to pray with him before making this decision of who he was going to call to be his closest people in his life. And this is a regular rhythm of Jesus. Before Jesus does anything significant like this, he goes away to a solitary place and prays, and that's how he prepares this type of uh, Type, type of moments for his ministry. And this is what he does before calling the 12 apostles. And while we aren't Jesus and we aren't establishing the future spread of the gospel, we are participants in it, our relationships play an integral role in our citizenship within the kingdom and our participation in the rhythm of the gospel. For the most part, friendships are things that we discover along the way based on commonality. So we end up in the same place. I've made friends with people because I've gone to play volleyball, you know, and so we play volleyball together and we have developed friendships along with that. So we discovered that alongside of that. And so I, I want to be clear that the takeaway today isn't going to be that tomorrow you're going to walk up to someone and say, hey, I stayed up all night praying about this and I want you to be my best friend now. So that, like that, that is not the approach that we're taking here when it comes to intentional relationships. Um, however, friendship with others does ultimately come down to an intentional choice. So it's not just an accidental thing, at least it shouldn't be just an accidental thing because of the implications of what those relationships have for the trajectory of our life. As an introvert, I will always be amazed at how my kids when we would take them to the park playground would just kind of naturally start befri befriending and playing with random kids. 
And, and some of you are like that. You, I mean, you're, you're able to do that now as an adult. And I think that's amazing. And I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of that. I wish I could do that as well. Uh, and I'm trying to work on that as I continue to grow older. But they would come over and tell me that they were just going to go over, you know, they're, they're just over there playing with their friend. And they created this whole new world with this totally strange kid. They just knew that they were there to enjoy the park together. And so they're going to be best friends with this kid, even though they were never going to see him again. Had no clue what their name is. They just knew this is, this is my best friend. And we just had this amazing time enjoying uh, that park because they knew together their enjoyment of that park would just be enhanced. You know, that joy would just be made even more as they enjoyed each other's company. And in that small way, I can't help but see a greater, grander design for how God intends for our relationships to function with each other. Our enjoyment of God's relationship with us leads us to pursue and to be committed to and choose relationships with each other. They're gonna enhance that joy of that commitment and relationship. The most basic thing that we share in common with our fellow human beings is more than just our humanity, but it's that we are created with God's image, that his character and his nature are stamped within our hearts and minds and our souls, and that we long for that connection to be made whole, not only with God, but with each other as well, and it all comes together to make that possible. Our lives are the connection point as an intentional rhythm of a disciple of Jesus for people to be connected to God and for us to connect to God. But the rhythm of the world around us is much more geared to the what have you done for me lately kind of approach. And, and we get caught up in this. Sometimes I, I think about this and I'm like, you know, man, you know, I can't believe that you know, Chick-fil-A is taking so long today. They never take this long. And what have they done for me lately? Giving me great chicken sandwiches. And yet, you know, I'm, a, I'm complaining about how long I have to wait for this amazing food. And, and so we have this, what have you done for me lately approach to relationship rather than the love your neighbor as yourself approach to relationship that Jesus models for us. It's primarily consumer driven, quite frankly, selfish without much reciprocity in relationship that makes it work. I mean, that's, that's what that give and take is what m makes relationships happen. How much more the world would see God in our relationships if we were committed to enjoying them with each other because that accomplishes his will rather than manipulating others to fulfill our will. And I'm not saying that everybody in this room, everybody you know, that's worshiping with us uh, right now, is, is that, that's what they're doing. I'm saying that's the world that we live in. And that's what we're often you know, distracted by and we often fall into a rut of, of being, being like. So often I see people speak of relationships in terms of the value others bring to the table for them. And so I, I need to determine whether or not that person's gonna be in my life because of the value they bring me. As if relationships were purely transactional. Because, because they're not. That's, that's not how we decide whether or not we're going to allow a person to exist in our life. It's not based upon a self-made expectation of another person's worth in life. I just can't help but stop and think, can you imagine if that's how Jesus treated relationships? Imagine, you know, if, if God sat down and said, well, let me, let me think about humanity. What, what value do they bring to my life and to my existence? That would be kind of a scary thing. You know, what is our relational worth to the creator of the universe? What do we really bring to the table? And yet God elevates that above himself when Jesus humbles himself to serve humanity by humbling himself, even to dying on a cross for our sin. And because of our lack of worth, 
And yet his resurrection gives us infinite value in our relationship with God. It doesn't mean we have to be best friends with everyone. We don't have the capacity for the emotional intelligence that that would require for every person that we meet. You know, we're finite beings. And so, no, it doesn't mean that we have to have the deep, you know, uh, intimate relationship with every single person that we, uh, that we meet. And so we're going to be limited in our investment with everyone. However, we can start with a level playing field with everyone if we, we meet, if we see them through the lens of a follower of Jesus. And who knows what chances that those intentional types of relationships and those relational choices will provide. But we'll ha- they'll have something in common when we see others in the w- same way that God created them, in his image. Jesus doesn't surround himself with carbon copies of himself, and not just because it wasn't possible, but he didn't exclude people from his inner circle based on personality differences. You know, some of them were much more quick to speak up than others. Some of them were hotheads. Some of them were skeptics. The disciples had different life experiences. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were brothers. Some of them were from different towns. Some of them had different political beliefs in particular. All of them had different political beliefs from Jesus because they were looking for an earthly political fulfillment to the kingdom of God, which Jesus specifically taught against. And more than one would betray Jesus. Although, of course, to differing degrees, and Judas stood, stood alone as a traitor, yet Jesus still had a relationship with him all the way through that relationship being broken. And Jesus' resurrection still would have been enough for Judas, as well as it has been enough for all of us. And we're all breakers of relationship with God through our sin, yet, yet Jesus offers us infinite value through his resurrection and through his saving grace. Jesus pours into his relationship with his disciples so that they would know what kind of relationship that God desires with us and what kind of relationship we're meant to share with others. John 15, verses 12 through, uh, 15, verses 12 through 15, Jesus says this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. This love for others that that Jesus calls us to, it's built on a foundation of communion with God, that abiding with God that we're meant to make a holy habit in our lives. It's agreement on what life is all about, you know, what God's word has to say to us about our worldview and how we think about others and their impact in our life and our impact in theirs. And it's built on the intentionality of making it happen. And so for us, it's a question of thinking through, like, what are our closest friends in our lives, the people we have the closest relationship with? with what direction are they taking us in? Because they do determine the quality and direction of our life. I mean, there, there's an impact there. So what direction are, are they taking us in? What, are, what is their advice, their cares, their worries, their hopes, their desires? What is the, all that built on? What foundation is it, is it laid on? If it's not on Jesus, it doesn't mean that that relationship has to end, but it does mean, and, and it shouldn't end, but it does mean that their responses, those, those people, their responses to the purposes of life God has for us are not inherently going to be pulling us toward him. And so the most important relationships that we form in our lives are those with fellow disciples of Jesus because they determine 
the quality and direction of our lives. Not just those who claim to be Christian, but those who are friends of Jesus because they do what he commands. They're more important than family. They're more important than other friends or coworkers or networks or social media interactions. More important than people in position and power and authority. Because while those relationships can certainly be advantageous to some of our goals and desires that we have, they're not primary if not built on the friendship that God desires with us. They're still important, yes, to have, but, but to have that awareness of how they're impacting the direction of our lives, that's, that's key when it comes to who God is calling us to be. And don't, don't misunderstand, because the, the world kind of looks at this and would, would say, the takeaway would be, okay, I need to categorize people as either a friend or an enemy, because you know, that, that's, where, that's where the polarization of our thinking has taken us in our cultural experience. And this is about starting from a foundation that fellow human beings are made in the image of God and deserve the same love that Jesus shows us. And the fruit of whether or not they're following Jesus simply determines how we allow that person to pour into us and helps us to see how we need to pour into them. And here's, here's how we follow the rhythms of Jesus' intentional relationships. The first thing is, Allow yourselves to, to be disrupted by, by other people. You, we can get so into like, what we want to do and our schedules and what we have to accomplish and, and our desires that we can miss the times where God creates these opportunity, op, opportunities for us to build relationships with each other. Allow ourselves to, to be disrupted. Jesus could have accomplished his ministry without anybody else. He could have done all the teaching. He could have done all the miracles. He could have done all that without the disciples. He didn't need them and constantly had to answer their questions and had to, you know, deal with their finite way of th thinking, their lack of wisdom and, and knowledge that, that he had to deal with. But he allowed those disruptions in, her life, in his life because he knew that was the foundation for sharing and spreading the kingdom of God, God is through intentional relationship. And so, um, here, here's, here's one of the things that, uh, that Jesus models for us that, that we need to, need to do. Be where the type of people Jesus surrounds himself with are. In Proverbs 18, verse 1, uh, we read this. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. The disciples were willing to drop everything for Jesus. They were willing to be disrupted by him. They prioritized their relationship with each other. And, and they didn't agree all the time. They, they had meetings where they would get together and say, hey, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And they would go back and forth and have to come to some kind of consensus before they were able to move forward when it, come to their, it came to their leadership with, within the church. I mean, it wasn't always, always perfect, but they didn't pursue selfish ends. They pursued who God had called them to be. And so part of us being where, around the type of people that Jesus surrounds himself with are these people that are willing to be disrupted in their life to pursue something that's bigger than just, just themselves. And so that's, that's, the, that's the first you know, step into being into the type of intentional relationship that God calls us with. Uh, do we make time to be with others? And the second, second thing that I want to point out is this. As God calls us to be the friend for the type of relationships that he desires us to be in. In Proverbs 17, verse 9, we read this, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. 
a lot of times when we think about friendships, I think it's in terms of, again, like I mentioned before, the value that somebody else you know, gives, gives to us. It's like, are, are they providing the needs that I have when reality is that God calls us to be the one who's providing for their needs? The one who you know, is not thinking about how this other person is failing us constantly, you know, but through love is willing to look past some of those failings because they understand that we need to do the same for each other. In order to be close in the friendships that God calls us to, love has to be the prevailing way forward for us. We are called to come together for the same purpose of the gospel and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the same should be the case for our closest friendships and relationships as well. You know, our church mission is helping people find Jesus and love God. And that's our sole driving force. I mean, that is, that is the thing that we're called to. But it's not just for us as a church, it's us as individuals as well. It's what drove Jesus. That's how he interacted with his relationships. It's the way that we're called to base our relationships and how we interact with people as well. And this is all built on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how he chooses to be in relationship with us. We celebrate this every week at Velocity through communion. We take communion together and we do that. And let me read this text as we, as we prepare to share in that time together from 1 John chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We know love and what it is because of what Jesus has done. He's laid down his life for us, and we're called to lay down our lives for each other. And so God calls us to be intentional in those relationships. Jesus was, it's what he models for us, and we need, to, we need to do the same to be where God calls us to be. As we prepare our hearts and minds to meditate on this and to take communion together, let me pray. God, nothing in our lives happened without, without relationships. Some of the things that we you know, struggle with are a result of relationships. Some of the things that bring us the most joy in life are as a result of relationships. And God, as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, to walk in his footsteps, to talk the talk, God, we ask that you show us how to do that in our relationships with each other. Show us the intentionality, the rhythms that Jesus participates in so that we can be the type of friends, that we can be the type of fellow disciples and encouragement and sharing joy and following God that that you call us to and that you desire for us to experience. God, we thank you for the friendship that Jesus gives to us, that even though you're God and we're not and we don't deserve it, that you, that you share that, that deep and intimate, meaningful, purposeful relationship with us so that we can experience life the way that you meant for it to be experienced. God, we praise you for this, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.